before we get going, I just wanted to say that my guest this week, uh, Dave Lindquist, my old buddy from Indianapolis, he's been the head music writer at the Indianapolis Star for a long time. He has a show that you can listen to however you're listening to this particular show. You can find it at the same place. It's called Dave's Old Interview Tapes, and the idea is he has a pile of old cassettes that he recorded when he was interviewing people like David Lee Roth, The Edge, you know, B.B. King, way back when, and he'll turn it into a show that's updated a little bit. There's an episode where he has an interview with Willie Nelson, and then I tell more Willie Nelson stories than anybody has the right to. So if you like the idea of hearing me talk about Willie Nelson for an hour or so, then you need to check that out. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's Dave's old interview tapes. You should head over there right now and subscribe. And be sure and tell Dave I said hey. This is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Dave Linquist. Dave writes about music and entertainment at the Indianapolis Star, and you can find out everything you need to know about Dave at IndyStar.com. I've known Dave since 1998 when he first started working at the Indianapolis Star, and he's really good at what he does. Most cities don't have someone like Dave, you know, doing the caliber of work that he does. So Indianapolis, I hope you appreciate what you have there in Dave Linquist. You're very fortunate. A few years ago, I was in Europe. I just played a gig somewhere, and I was back in the hotel room, and I checked Twitter before I went to bed just to see what was going on. And there were people that were saying something terrible had happened at the Indiana State Fair. There was some kind of tragedy. And Dave was there and was the only person reporting directly from there. He was the only lifeline to the world. And I kept thinking of all these people that I knew that worked there and might have been at the show and wondering if they were all right. I was just glued to it. I asked Dave if he would be nice enough to talk about that evening, the things that happened and what he saw. And he was nice enough to go along. So we met up at a hotel room in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he shared the story of that terrible evening. Here's Dave Linquist. So the 2011 Indiana State Fair included the then-typical lineup of popular acts. Um, and one of the nights was Sugarland. Uh, the supporting act was Sarah Bareilles. This was a pretty big show. Uh, the grandstand at the Indiana State Fair 
holds about 14,000 people and another 1,000 probably on the track. If you're familiar with state fairs, that's typically a, a, a format where there's a track for horse racing or stock car racing and a grandstand that's on one side of the track and then right on the inside is the stage. And the way that the Indiana State Fair had always been was a kind of a concrete slab of a stage. Uh, one time I got to go underneath there and there's some not great glamorous dressing rooms, but there are dressing rooms underneath that concrete slab. And every year in August when the fair would be presented, uh, then the crews would assemble a, uh, to be honest, ever since I started covering shows there in 1998, it looked like a spindly tower of scaffolding. And that's what the stage rigging was then set on. And as the years went on, uh, production gets bigger and more complicated and more eye-popping. I remember uh, just one year, Rascal Flats came, and they hung so much video screen on these scaffolds that I was like, wow, that is really pushing uh, this to the max in terms of what you can do and should do maybe on this stage. And I say this in retrospect, but these are things that I said through the years when I would go out there and see these uh, these productions. And Sugarland came with a really uh, beautiful uh, set. What they had was uh, on the floor of the stage was like a like a lover's uh, kind of bridge, like you'd see in a scene from a <laughs> a little creek or pond somewhere. And then on the back of the stage was a massive circular video screen so regardless you just you walk into the room or the 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 venue that night and this is this is a big production the typical state fair gig at least the indiana state fair throughout the years would be some 60s oldies band right who just show up with some guitar amps and some pa sitting on the ground yeah yeah so this is a evolved into something completely yeah, we different. were we were lo-fi and now we are trying to put a an amphitheater arena show onto this this format. A little sidebar, you know, the Beatles played the Indiana State yes, Fairgrounds. Yeah. It was inside and outside. They played outside. That's the, a lot of people don't realize that, but they played an afternoon set in the Coliseum, did a press conference, and the after that. And then they played an outdoor grandstand show that night. That's like the lost Beatles performance. And I think on that tour, that famous world-changing 1964 tour, I think that's the only day they played two shows. I've seen their rider. It was like a case of Coca-Cola. Yeah, we want a, we want a black and white TV, 13-inch, and a case of Coca-Cola. <laughs> it, it was a hot summer. It was a dry summer. 2011 and I remember the day the day of the show the day of the Sugarland show I stopped in at the press office uh, not a big press office but it was basically the marketing office for the publicist for the Indiana State Fair and I dropped off my laptop just shooting the breeze with the uh, meteorologist Paul Poteet who I guess amazingly like this is the only time this has ever happened where I actually ran into a meteorologist before a show but I think it's part of the 
state fairs protocol is that we need a weather person on site to let us know what's what. And he mentioned to me in passing that, you know, we might have some weather tonight. And I thought, just in the back of my head, I'm like, well, that's novel because this has been such a brutal, dry summer that maybe that's something that I'll put in my review that we had a shower or something during the show. I think it's probably uh, Sarah Bareilles plays at 7.30. I think she had played for 45 minutes. It's probably 7.30 to 8.15 for Sarah. And during the half hour break between every concert that I've ever attended, you know, I looked to the west where the uh, where you always look when you're sh- when you're at a show when you're in the grandstand at the Indiana State Fair and you're watching a show if you're not watching the stage your eye is always pulled to the west because that's where the midway is so you see the lights and the Ferris wheel and the tilt a whirl uh, but between uh, Sarah set and Sugarland you could see some om- ominous clouds were rolling in from that direction. So maybe 10 to 5 minutes before Sugarland was expected on stage a uh, a radio personality walked on stage and made an announcement. I've always been empathetic to this guy because the station was not a sponsor of the show. I'm sure that someone just grabbed him backstage and said, go up and and give these instructions. So what he did is he got on stage and said, hey, as you can see, we've got some clouds headed our way. We might have a storm. Um, We're going to start the show, and if things look dicey, we'll stop the show, and we'll send you out. We'll evacuate at that point. But get ready, because sit tight. In five minutes, we got Sugarland on stage. And outside of my journalistic duties and my professional thoughts on that night, um, what I've always regretted or thought about is that incident was going to happen. At that point, all the factors were in place. The only thing that could have changed would have been to evacuate the crowd at that moment. You know, that's the only thing you can do is get people away from that that potential harm. And I've seen uh, in, in the years before that event, uh, we have a uh, an amphitheater outside of Indianapolis uh, called Cliff Music Center. Grateful Dead fans know it as Deer Creek. Um, they that that venue has been very good around 2009, 2010 at just pumping the brakes like we've got a We've got our radar shows us that we have bad weather coming. Uh, before you even come in our gate, sit tight in the parking lot. We're going to wait it out. And I've seen them, uh, I think I saw a Pearl Jam show where they stopped the show, evacuated, and then people came back. Now, that's, that is the scenario that I guess they thought they might have seen during that Sugarland show. But, you know. Do you believe when the radio personality walked out there that somebody knew that there was definitely a bad storm coming? Yeah, that's a good question. I I have no way of knowing. But I guess I would just say, if you're going to make the announcement that we might stop the show and evacuate you, the right call might have been to evacuate. 
So, uh, Paul Poteet, the meteorologist, was right. It did rain that night. But before the rain started to fall, there was a, I guess the technical term is a microburst of wind. It was surprising that it, it blew, just, you know, just popped, popped from the west. And uh, that was it. I, so I, I was not on the track. As I described, there's the grandstand, the track, and then the stage. My seat that night was about five rows up in the grandstand. So I'm looking at the, at the concert presentation. You know, the, the techs are wrapping things up. And the show's going to start in a, in a few minutes uh, in that interim between when that announcement on stage was made and the band's going to come up. So I remember seeing that the ribbon of speakers, the large ribbon of speakers that you see at shows closest to where this uh, wind came up, uh, started to twist. And that's, that's like point of no return. I'm glad no one had a camera phone on me at that moment, because I'm sure I said more than no, no, no. I remember screaming no, 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 but I probably said some other stuff. And it, it was like, you know, what you hear and people say about things, like it, it was like a slow motion movie as, as that speaker string twisted. And then so then it's like, a, it's a framework. It's like uh, the top, the top, rectangle and the bottom rectangle were no longer in sync the top the top rectangles twisting and uh as i mentioned that huge video circle in the back once that starts moving it all it all falls forward so yeah so the the wreckage of the stage rigging we now see on the track it's about i would say about 15 feet onto the track and there is zero percent chance that people are unscathed it was just you knew that a lot of people were in the footprint of that of that uh that fall and uh it's it's a it was a it was a show where our best fans are in the pit, you know. It was a, it was a standing room situation, and these people were just uh, super excited because it was a Saturday night at the State Fair. When I uh, recounted uh, my night uh, right after it happened, um, I was not one of the brave people. There were people who were so brave that night that they jumped from the grandstand onto the track to help, um, you know, clear this uh, wreck and uh, try to help the people who were affected by it. In the days after the accident, people would talk to me about, like, oh, that must have been so crazy to shift from music journalist to news journalist on, on such a, a quick pivot. And I, I don't really think it was that much of a, a change because... I was there doing the same thing. I was observing, trying to get the, the message out of what happened. But I did not take that step of like, oh, now I'm going to take myself out of working journalist role to try to help people. And it's not like everybody came out of the stands, but I, 
really admire the people who did. I'm somewhere in a hotel room in Europe getting ready to go to bed after a gig, and I check Twitter, and I see that you are tweeting that there's been a terrible catastrophe at the Indiana State Fair. This is... This is about 12 blocks from where I lived for 20 years. This was my home. Yeah. And I'd been to the Indiana State Fair forever. But when I read that the stage has collapsed, the first thing I think of was I had friends that I know are working on that crew right. who built that stage you know, and were there. And uh, people I worked with that I'd actually done – you know, local crew gigs with these particular people. And the first thing I started thinking is, is Jay Stein all right? Mm. You know, is Eric Milby there putting right. a gig together? You know, I'm thinking of John Robeson, different people. You were probably getting bombarded by people like me wanting to know names of how, if someone's accounted for. Well, here's to 2011. I'm working with a Razor flip phone. And if you're working with a Razor flip phone and trying to do Twitter, it is a one-way signal. You don't, it's, it's crazy to think about, but all you're doing is you're sending messages out. There's no interface for me to even know what was happening on the other side. And uh, I'm Razor flip phone, AT&T, which people rip on all the time for their service. But for whatever reason, I was able to have great connectivity and get every message out that night. So that night there was a press conference and uh, obviously a very somber press conference. We waited for the TV crews to get there and we waited for, you know, any other journalist to get there. And I was there, I was, I was waiting there the whole time. And, uh, as the press conference started, there was a police officer who started to speak. I don't know if he was there when it happened, but he started to speak, and he said, uh, you know, before the show, we uh, advise people to evacuate. And I stopped him, which I don't know if I was supposed to do or not. I'm like, actually, the statement from the stage was, if things get hairy, we will stop the show and then evacuate. I don't want to imply that there was anything underhanded or any malice in that original statement, that, that maybe that's what they wanted the, the narrative to be. Uh, but I was, I was able to say what I saw as an eyewitness. And for a day or two, I was like, is that really what he said? <laughs> you know, like I wanted to be sure. And sure enough, it's like I was saying a minute ago, there were 14,000 witnesses. And sure enough, on YouTube, it's, it's really strange because there's a couple in the stands. Uh, I went to high school with these uh, two people in central Illinois. They live in Indianapolis, and I live in Indianapolis, but we grew up in this small town in central Illinois. And they posted a video to YouTube of just like, hey, we're kind of panning the crowd before the show. Hey, that weather looks kind of crazy over there. And then the radio guy comes up on stage, and they record the, the verbatim statement so i i was vindicated for for what that was worth were there four people that died that day i think the final total of deaths was seven. Oh god yeah and it was like that morning i think the number was four and as time went on the, the number increased 
injuries, I think, was somewhere between 50 and 60. Uh, one thing I didn't mention, and it's I really identify with you thinking about the people on the crew. Uh, one thing that was really unusual about that day in the press room before the show, in addition to running into that meteorologist, I mean, this isn't super rare, but it's it doesn't happen every show, is that we got the word that, hey, tonight, instead of having the uh, photographers in the pit, which is the area right by the stage and definitely would have been in the footprint of this this fall, they said, uh, we're going to have you shoot from the soundboard, which removed uh, seven photographers and Andy Wilson, who's a publicist I've worked with for 20 years. They no longer were shooting from the pit. Where they shot from was across the track. So that's just a... That's just a quirk of 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 time and in history that if if the original plan for where the photographers were supposed to stand that night would have been followed, they would have been a world of hurt. Were there people up in the in the scaffolding, like up high that were working? Like maybe spotlights or something? Yes. And uh I think one of the fatalities was a, a lighting technician. One of the fatalities was an ESG security staffer. One of the people that I that I knew and worked with used to hang out with in Broadripple. I'd heard that he'd ri- ridden the scaffolding down just as it came down and broke an arm, maybe, but yeah. somehow came out. I can imagine. No. <laughs> you know, I, nobody says this, so I'm going to take the time to say it. The people who work on these crews are really, really hardworking people who know what they're doing. And this is all over the world. When you go to a festival or something, there's people that put that whole thing together and work tirelessly long hours, and they're usually way more talented than the people who are jumping <laughs> around singing on stage. They're a lot of times better at what they do. I sometimes feel the need to defend those people. I've been that person also, and there's musicians that I know who have done those kind of jobs when it was all sorted out, was anybody pointing fingers at the crew? To be honest, Otis, the whole thing just became like a big litigation haze to me. I know I didn't feel like whatever money that Indiana's legislation by law had said would be set aside for victims. I thought that was kind of a joke. It was a very meager amount of money when you try to split it 50 ways, let alone the, these important seven ways um i think just everybody kind of settled so that's what they did so uh that was the last night a concert ever happened at the grandstand at the fair so the there's a coliseum on the grounds of the fairgrounds and that's where the beatles played on the afternoon i think it was september 3rd 1964 where Dick the Bruiser used to beat people up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Coliseum's also the same place where Wayne Gretzky played for the Indianapolis yeah. Racers. Got to see that when I was a kid. And not to be morbid, the Coliseum at the State Fairgrounds is where they had a horrible Halloween ice dancing explosion where dozens of people were killed in the early 60s. I remember as a kid, we'd always hit the anniversary of that, and it would be a news story. 
Yeah, horrific pictures. Of, I believe it was a boiler underneath the bleachers that blew up. <laughs> yeah, it was like a popcorn maker, I think. So they renovated this this Coliseum. It's about an eight thousand capacity room. It's a great hockey place, and the the retrofit architecture and the design of what they did there is really amazing. I'm a huge fan of what they did there. But they did a couple of years where they tried to do a list state fair caliber shows during the fair in that room and the attendance was dismal it's almost like it's not meant to be so what the state fair is has now gone to what they do in terms of concerts is they have 17 nights every night of the fair they have a free stage concert but it's not the same you know it's not it's not big concerts at the indiana state fair anymore Well, one, of the, one thing that we haven't talked about is, is Sugar Land, Jennifer Nettles and Christian Bush. I immediately felt, you know, this horrible contrast from what happened that night to the type of music that they made as Sugar Land, just like super bright, energetic, accessible pop country music. I mean, I'm not going to say many good things about the pop country style, but I thought they did it in a really uh, clever way, and I loved going to see. I love going to see Sugarland shows because, you know, you just saw all these great, fresh-faced kids who loved that music and were excited about it. Sugarland came and played. Uh, I believe it was a free show at the basketball arena within a year or two, and that was like really awkward. Um, <laughs> and that band is that duo is basically dissolved. Uh, I don't think either one of them is having the type of solo success that they would they would hope. Whether it is connected to that night in Indianapolis or not, it's just it was very near the end of, of their their work. I can't imagine what it would feel like to be the band, you know, sitting backstage ready to go on. I might be saying things that aren't true, I don't know, but I can't imagine they knew anything about anything. They're just getting ready to go play. Right. And um and it's now it's one of these things that we mention, like the Who in Cincinnati. Right. We mention it in the same breath as these as Altamont. These terrible things that happened. I will forever lobby and try to go to shows and cover them because a show, a live music presentation is different from a movie. It's different from a television show because when we go to the movie, I might be in Pasadena or I might be in Nashville, but we're watching the same movie, and we even on Netflix we don't maybe not. We may not binge everything on Netflix in the same order, but it's the same show. When you're at a concert, that's that performer and that audience on that night. And that's it. So I don't cover as many shows as I used to. Uh, I'm coming up on my 20th anniversary at the Indianapolis Star, and uh, I just don't go to as many shows as I used to. But it's what's the old Woody Allen quote is that... uh, 85% 85% is, is just showing up. You know, that was a night where I was the journalist who saw this happen. And that's that's rare enough. I mean, to think of big news events, to have a journalist witness, that's pretty rare. But there were like 14,000 of us. I appreciate you meeting up with me here in this hotel room. And it's a strange thing to be in a hotel room in the city that you 
No, thanks a lot. It's good to see you, Dave. You too. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Dave for meeting up with me at that hotel room in Indianapolis. You can find out everything you need to know about Dave at IndyStar.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short of cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment, subscribe, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.